Well, as Pastor Tucker said, my name is Drew Brodeen. I am the director of Send Hope Now, which means I, I run our stateside operations and have the privilege to work with the amazing people of India. So I appreciate uh, Tucker and the team here allowing me to come and speak. I, I guess you guys didn't really have a choice. So um, thank you for giving me your ear, at least this morning, to hear about what God is doing in the global church. You know, even though we might live across the world, God is doing some amazing things here as much as he's doing stuff in India. And so I have the privilege this morning to share a little bit of context about, um, man, the amazing redemption work that God is doing over there. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about this ministry, Send Hope, kind of what we do as an organization. I want to give some context um, to our journey, starting out of this church, actually, in 1989. So we're going on 32 years of ministry, which is amazing what God's done in that time. Um, so I want to give you a little context there, talk a little bit about India. You know, being from a Western society, there's such a cultural difference that I want to get into this morning. Um, and then we're going to get in the Word this morning. Your prayers have been answered. It's going to be okay. We're going to have some scripture this morning too. So God's going to speak to this community, I believe, in that way as well. So um, I want to start out just giving um, some history of this organization. As I was saying, 1989 uh, was when we started. So if you can picture it now as we fade to the fa flashback, um, it was right then that Guna, who you saw in the video, um, he was 30 years younger at that time, but had grown up in a Christian orphanage himself. And God started to plant these seeds in his life that he wanted to see more children be redeemed in their lives and brought into the family of God. And so he was actually working at a, as a staff member, as like Vanola um, in the video. He was working as a staff member in the orphanage he grew up in, but had this vision of starting his own. Uh, and, and as God always works, uh, he has a stepsister who actually lives, uh, was adopted by a family in Boise, Idaho. Um, so he goes on a trip to visit her. And as he's here, he's reminded of that vision that God's given him to start a ministry and, and starts believing for a partnership in the United States. So if you can picture the valley 30 years ago and this Indian man walking around the valley trying to connect with churches and build relationships, that's kind of how <laughs> the story starts he travels to uh, different churches in the valley um, and ends up connecting with the church here at Calvary Boise and gets to know the staff. Um, now, the crazy thing is um, the pastor here, Pastor Bob, who was uh, leading the ministry at the time, he actually was over in India at the same exact time with a different ministry, um, but also had the same heart to see a ministry in India birthed out of this church. So the team starts talking to Guna, gets to know his story a little bit, and calls up Bob and says, hey, you got to hurry back here. We need you to meet this guy. Um, so Bob hurries up his trip, comes back before Guna has to leave, and ends up connecting with him. And God just bursts this amazing relationship through their partnership. And Guna heads home to start a church specifically through the support of this church. Um, so this ministry is because of the works of this church. And so there's a gratitude that I have to express for you all being a part of what God's been doing in India. Um, so since our start, that was 1989. Um, over the next few years, Guna planted a few more churches. God just continued to expand their efforts. Um, and it was 1993 that we started caring for orphans. Um, we had five kids that we started with. 
Um, I'm told that Guna had four of them stay at his house. That's all they could fit. And they had one kid that would go down to the neighbor's house to spend the night. So um, God does some amazing things through small beginnings. Amen. Um, so uh, from there on out, you saw in the video, in 2005, uh, we had a drastic change in our ministry. Um, Guna was actually at a train station and this woman comes up to him and somehow knows what he does uh, with the ministry and asks him to take her daughter. Um, she was HIV infected, the mother, so was the daughter, and she knew that she was going to pass away soon and needed somebody to take her daughter. And so that was the story of Sangeeta uh, that we saw in the video. Um, so she came into our homes. Um, you know, it was a difficult decision to think about caring for somebody with HIV and the amount of care and effort that that took. But through the obedience of God, we've seen um, some amazing things happen through this ministry thereafter. So um, just today, I want to go through just the acronym of HOPE. That's kind of the displays what this ministry does, all the different aspects of it for you to get more context on the, the whole holistic view of this ministry uh, as we continue. So uh, if you'll put it up there. So first off, we have homes for children. The video talked about, we have 600 orphans that we support. We have 16 homes throughout the country. Um, Two-thirds of them have HIV. And so that's a major part of what we do is caring for HIV-infected people. Outreach to communities, that's our pastors. God has blessed us. We have, uh, we have planted over 200 churches in the nation of India. So cool. Um, provision for the sick and needy. So... We care for orphans with HIV. We care for individuals with HIV through meals. Um, we care for about 300 lepers. Um, there's a widow program. So we provide widows whose husbands have passed away with a means of income to support their families. Plant water wells. There's all sorts of different things we do for, for provision. And then education for the next generation. I love this aspect. You know, it kind of depends on the ministry you're a part of, but you think about what happens to an orphan when they come of age, you know, 18, what happens to them? They're kind of just left to fend for themselves. Hopefully it works out, but it kind of depends on the, the ministry you're talking about. Well, what I love about our ministry is we set our children up for um, a life of impact, really. Um, we help children get through college if they want to pursue it, trade school, whatever it is. We're giving them that opportunity to be set up for a life of impact, have a job that can pour back into the church. It's kind of cyclical, but um, I love what this ministry stands for and what we do. Um, so, if you'll allow me, I want to share uh, just a little bit more context with you about the nation of India. Um, I want to give you some facts and statistics. Um, if I have any high schoolers in here, not that kind of statistics. It's, it's okay. Um, so we're going to, I just want to give you some context to help you understand this nation, right? So, so first off, I want to give um, some numbers on, on population. It's quite unique, this country. There's 1.4 billion people, I said billion with a B, um, who live in this country. That's about a third of the size is ours. Um, so if you can picture that, it's like 12, 12 more people living in your house and you start to feel claustrophobic just thinking about it. But that's how many people are packed into this nation, right? Um, the city of Bangalore, that's kind of our headquarters, and they're in the state of Karnataka. They have 64 million people in that state, for instance, whereas in, in the, uh, Idaho has uh, two, not even two. Um, so bye-bye BLM land and all the areas you shoot guns. Hello, people. Um, <laughs> it's just such a difference in population. 
Um, second thing I want to point out is just the culture. Um, so you maybe have heard of the caste system, but it really does play a major impact on these communities and individuals. The people of poverty that we support often stuck with that for generations. Um, the caste system essentially is just uh, a termination of opportunities someone has based on the economic standing and well-being of one's parents. So if your parents are in poverty, it's most likely that you're stuck in the same. So we see generational poverty that we're caring for with the individuals there. Um, next thing uh, I wanted to touch on real quick was uh, just a lack of health education. So it's, it's very interesting over there that the communities of poverty that we support, they oftentimes have such a lack of awareness on how diseases spread. And so the people that we care for, HIV-infected people and lepers specifically, they, uh, in these communities, people are concerned that they can be spread via touch or even proximity. And so oftentimes these people are, are outcasts in society. So lepers, for instance, we have two communities we support. And these, these individuals have to live in a colony, and they're only allowed to leave one time a month um, in order to beg for money. Um, and the same goes for HIV-infected people. We have, we have stories of people who... Um, will literally travel across state lines to get their HIV-infected medicine because they don't want their neighbors to find out about the disease because they would essentially shun them if that was the case. There's a completely different culture on awareness from those things. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about is just the, the, the faith component. You see, just as the United States is really based on Christian prim- principles, India is rooted in Hindi um, principles. And so... Um, if you think about how much that impacts the culture of a society, how much that impacts um, a family dynamic, all these different components, um, when somebody is stepping out of Hindi roots and into Christianity, they're essentially disowning their heritage to step into the family of God. So it's much more um, weighty over there. And when we welcome somebody in the family of God, they're not just saying, I'm going to join you for a Sunday service once a week. You're coming to the family barbecues and you're joining all the components of what it means to be the family of God um, over there. So anyways, um, I, I wanted to finally just say is we're going we're gonna to hop into the scriptures now. Um, James 127 is a verse that we really live by as an organization. Uh, if you want to read it with me, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to care for orphans and widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, So we truly try to care for the least of these and love people as the image of God that they are, amen. Um, So next I wanna hop in um, to the word in John 4. If you wanna go over to that with me this morning. I think think God has a word for each of us this morning as we get into the text. as this woman's story, it's a story of a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, whatever the name of it, you may have heard of it as. Um, it's this story of a, an outcast woman. So there's a lot of correlation to the people that we serve in this organization and her. But not only that, I think there's a lot of relationship that we have personally to this woman's testimony. Especially being in the midst of COVID in the last few years, having to deal with social distancing and being, uh, I don't know how you want to, how dramatic you want to be about it, but having to sit inside for a week or two sometimes seems like the death of us, um, or having to do another Zoom call or whatever it might be. We've had to deal with this transition in our approach of, of others. And um, I think that that's the beauty of this scripture is um, we don't know this woman's name, right? 
they just call the Samaritan woman throughout the scriptures. And so I think it's an opportunity for you and I to put our name in her place this morning as we read through her story to connect a little bit more in the journey that she goes on. Um, so if you will, I wanna, I wanna get into her story this morning by giving a little bit of context. We're starting in, in technically in verse four, but I, I wanna just read it. I'm gonna kind of talk it out with you. So hopefully all you um, verse by verse people don't get upset with me as I just kind of give an overview of the text and share more of the story behind it. And really some wisdom that the scriptures share with us. You know, the, the scriptures are alive and they have a word for us to depict this morning. So um, as we head into the context of this message, we see Jesus on his way to Galilee. And he's heading through Samaria. Um, Sakar specifically is where we see uh, this journey start. Um, and he's on a break, essentially. He takes a, a break from um, his journey and takes a seat at a well. And... Uh, the interesting thing is this place in Samaria would have been a place that somebody like him, a Jew, would not have often been found. Um, it would have been uncommon at that time. But how many of you know, it's so amazing that God loves to show up in unexpected places, doesn't he? He loves to meet us in the places that we don't think he would be in our lives or in our communities in the dark places that we don't think he'll go. That's exactly where he loves to show up. Um, that's fortunate for us this morning. So... Um, I want to uh, I want to continue on that journey. This woman kind of shows up in the picture, and I want to pause before we see her show up and give some context on her and her background. You see, the the text says I think it's in verse six. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that it's about noonday, right? Um, so at that time, for a woman to come to a well to get water at noonday would have been uncommon, right? You and I, obviously, if we have to do anything outdoors. If we have to do gardening or anything, we want to do it in the cool of the morning rather than the hot sun, 100 degrees this summer. Oh, man, that was rough. Um, but anyways, uh, she would have normally done that. But the, So there has to be context. There has to be reason why she's showing up at noon, right? Um, and that reason is because she's living in shame from her life, her life decisions, right? Um, Jesus actually points it out in uh, verses 17 and 18, if you want to look there. The same reason that she's going to the well uh, to get a drink of water is the same issue she's had and why she's there at this time. Um, she's gone to the well of men to satisfy her life. Uh, she says, Jesus is kind of savage sometimes. I don't know if you ever get that. But um, he's, uh, in verses 17, essentially calls her out. Saying, and she's like, I don't have a husband. And she's like, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you're working on your sixth right now. Man, Jesus can be direct sometimes in the word. And so uh, anyways, that's, that's the context of this woman as she's entering the scene, right? And if you want to picture it with me, just this well, this guy, Jesus, she doesn't know him, but he's just sitting there as she enters his presence, just the two of them. I love the opportunity we have just to have a personal relationship with God, right? And he, uh, you know, as this woman enters his presence, it's kind of interesting, he just asks her for a drink. And I, I think it's an interesting paradox, if you will, to see the, the God who is living water asking someone for physical water, right? So there has to be context to that. And to me, it's a representation that Jesus loves to do everyday life with us. 
He loves to be a part of our everyday journeys, whether it's going and getting groceries, if you will, if you want to qualify this as groceries at the time. <laughs> um, whatever our pursuits are, that's what God loves to meet us. That's where he loves to meet us. That's where he loves to do life with us, experience our daily lives with us. Um, so this, this woman is kind of thrown off. Um, she doesn't recognize who God is, um, obviously. And, um, but she's confused as Jesus is asking her for a drink. You see at that time for not only would it have been weird for Jesus to be in Samaritan land, it would have been very weird for him as a Jew to interact with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman broken like she is, right? Um, But isn't that the goodness of God that he meets us in our brokenness, that he shows up in the places um, you and I might feel that way towards him sometimes. So we feel like, why in the world are you talking to me? You know, she, that's essentially what she says. If we look to it in, uh, what is it, verse 9. Um, you know, what are you doing as a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking me for water? What do you want anything to do with a broken person like me, someone who's literally in the act of shame coming to the water at noonday by myself? Um, why are you having anything to do with me? Um, but I love Jesus' response in verse 10. And I think that's part of the word this morning that I wanted to share with you is that we are all thirsty people like this woman. We're all people who have wells in our lives that we try to go to to find satisfaction, um, whether that be for a drink of physical water or another satisfaction in our lives. We're like this woman. And Jesus' word this morning to us is that he is the one and only person, the one and only well we can go to for satisfaction, for entire satisfaction. He says it himself in verse 10. And I, I, love, I love what he says to us. Um, he says, if, really, if, if you only knew who you're talking to, you would have realized you came to get a drink to satisfy you in this moment, really, but I came to give you living water. I came to give you something eternal. I came to give you something complete, complete contentment this morning. And I think that's the beauty of God is no matter the position we find ourselves in, whether we find ourselves thirsty, quenched for thirst, really struggling, or just simply unsatisfied in the way that we're doing things um, throughout our daily lives, that's the place that God loves to meet us and share that he can be so much more than what we're, we're seeing and finding fulfillment in in this world. Um, I felt like God was saying that there are moments in our lives that we can be unsatisfied in our daily pursuits. I don't know if you ever had that in your job or in your relationships or specifically in your marriage, but um, I know I've had personal seasons where I, ex- I find so much unsatisfaction in things. We'll say my marriage specifically because I'm expecting my wife to fulfill a need in my life that only God can, right? And I think the same goes um, trying to build up our own kingdom. You know, we, man, I see so many people out there with those dune buggies and four-wheelers and stuff. And man, I... I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty envious of that. If you have any of those, please let me know. I would love to hang out and be your friend. But um, the, here's the, the beauty of, of God is that, you know, we can, we can often try to pursue these things of personal satisfaction from what the world can present us. Whether that be, you know, finding a bigger house or trying to 
get the toys in order to have fun on the weekends or trying to have a bigger bank account, whatever, whatever it is, we end up getting to this place where we're trying to dig our own well to find satisfaction when Jesus made it so simple by simply showing up at the well and saying, let me be everything that you need. And so I think that's the important part for us this morning to recognize that he is, he can be, for whatever place you find yourself in this morning, Jesus is the fulfillment of satisfaction in our lives. He might be like this woman walking in the heat, um, exhausted, going through the motions of life this morning, struggling, trying to get to the well to find satisfaction again just for another moment. And God wants to reveal that he is living water, um, capable of quenching our every thirst. So um, I want to encourage you in that this morning. I want, to, um, I want to ask you to, to join with us as well. If you find yourself in a position blessed to be in this relationship with Jesus, in faith with him, to help us see every Samaritan woman in India see a redemption story of their own. You see, um, the story continues for this woman. This isn't the end of their interaction. They go on to continue in dialogue and this woman comes to find out that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He changes her life forevermore, praise God. And then she heads out from there. She returns back to her village and she becomes the first evangelist we see in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? The, the redemption of God. I have to believe, you know, she came to the well as an outcast and she's returning to a community that's welcoming her. I'll let you read the text yourself um, to see how the story kind of fulfills itself. But not just the goodness of God to see stories like this in the Bible and stories of our own completely changed just by a simple interaction that we have with the Lord. You probably can reflect on your own journey with Jesus and how he's changed you. Maybe it was in a song or in a service or a conference or whatever it was, but that's the beauty of who God is to redeem the stories of our lives. Um, I, I had the privilege to share a little bit of the statistics with you guys about this ministry and what God's doing presently, but what you didn't necessarily get is some of the stories behind the 600 kids we have. And there's so many stories that I could share this morning, um, and I won't because we don't need to be here for a few hours. But um, I do want to have one of our board members, Steve, come up here. Um, he's going to share just quickly some testimonies of a few of the children that have come through our homes. You know, being a part of this ministry for 30 years, we have some, seen some amazing testimonies of children literally taken from the, street, the streets, brought into our homes, brought into the family of God, and having a redeeming story of what God's been able to do to transform their lives through this ministry. So... I'm gonna have Steve come. Um, he had a relationship with a few of our children, seen their journeys throughout. And so I'm gonna ask him to just share a little bit about um, two kids specifically um, that have been blessed through this ministry. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, it's good to be here with you and appreciate you all sitting in and listening to us. Um, I just want to tell you a couple of stories about, or a story about a couple of our kids that have grown up in our orphanages. When I uh, watch this video every time, I'm, I'm kind of actually glad that they played it early before I got up to speak because every time it just grabs me and I just, uh, you know, it brings uh, 
a lot of emotions up to watch those kids. And there's so many of those kids in those uh, videos. And uh, here's just a story of two of them. But uh, keep in mind that there's hundreds and hundreds more. Actually, how many, how many kids have gone through our orphanages? 3,800. 3, and, and now there's, uh, you know, over 500, almost 600 in there now. So anyway, the first slide is uh, of this uh, young gal, Karthika. And uh, she was born to a Hindu family um, in a small town in southern India. And when she was about nine years old, she found out that her father had um, AIDS. Her family found that out. And uh, he got very sick. And a couple of years later, uh, her mother also was sick and her father then died. Her mother wasn't able to take care of the family. So she took Karthika and her sister to a um, child protective services, whatever the agency in India uh, is and asked if they could take care of her children because she was unable to anymore. So they took her and they took her to Pastor Guna and asked him if he might consider placing her in one of our homes. And so he did, and she was placed in the Home of Hope, Eden Garden Home of Hope in Anandapuram, southern India. And there she began to be taken care of, uh, fed, nourished, housed, uh, educated. Um, she grew up in this Hindu family, and so she had... The, the religion that she was raised in, the Hindu religion, actually had um, taught her about literally millions of deities and gods. So she began to hear the stories in the Bible about the one true living God that loved her and sent his son to die for her. And that was really kind of hard for her at first to, to kind of uh, sort of take this all in and, and understand it. But after a couple of years, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, planted a seed in her heart and she believed. Really a sweet girl. She uh, <clears throat> Anyway, she came to the Lord, and she um, grew up. She did really well in school. Um, she graduated from high school, and with continuing support from her sponsor, she went on to college, and she studied, um, got two degrees, two bachelor's degrees, one in English and one in uh, education, and actually got a master's degree in education as well. So after she finished her college, she wasn't really sure what she wanted to do, so she, um, she thought about it, and she decided that she wanted to move back to her mother's village, and so she did, and she um, lived there for two or three months, but ap after a little while, she decided she just, um, you know, it just wasn't uh, satisfying her need, and she wanted to be back with her Christian community, so she moved back to uh, Eden Garden Home of Hope, where she uh, began to serve as a caregiver and a teacher. And so she was there for a couple years after that. And uh, then we'll move on to the next guy I want to talk about is a, a young man named Devin Eason. And this guy, also born into a Hindu family, he uh, lived in the, their family lived in the city of Bangalore. Uh, Drew mentioned a minute ago, it's a huge city, kind of the Silicon Valley of, of India. Uh, but he lived in a slum. His family lived in the slums, and they were very poor. He was the fourth of four kids, and um, when he came along, his family just got to the point where they just couldn't support the kids anymore, so they took him to uh, the same uh, government agency, and they brought, them, they brought him to uh, Pastor Guna, who placed him in one of our homes of hope in Nachikupam. So um, as a young boy, he um, also had never heard anything about God, about the one true God. But at a very young age, he accepted Jesus into his heart as well. And he grew up there, also did well in school, and 
grew into this uh, good-looking young man that you see on the right. And he had a heart to serve God. You know, that was one of the things that uh, uh, a lot of these children just want to, uh, they know God, they're so thankful to know God, and they want to serve God as they move forward into their adult lives. So um, he uh, was offered a position as a ministerial intern in uh, the home of hope. Uh, it's called Heaven's Gate down in very southern India. And so he went there, and while he was there, he also enrolled in college, and he uh, uh, eventually earned a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science. So both of these kids are, um, at this point, living in a very, uh, very close to each other in two homes that are separated by a couple of miles. And uh, the next slide uh, shows you um, uh, through the, they had a heart to not only serve God, but also uh, a heart to, I, I get choked up because this girl is the one we've supported for years, and my wife and I have a really amazing relationship with her, but anyway, they, um, uh, they, wanted a, they wanted a godly spouse, and so they had been seeking God for that, and God honored that wish, and through the sort of the excellent uh, matchmaking skills of our pastor Guna and his wife, <laughs> they actually find each, found each other out of all of these billions of people in India, and uh, they were engaged. So you see in the picture on the left, that's your engagement, and, and uh, Devin Easton's really got it going. He's, he's pretty excited about it. The others, I think, have this kind of this old-school somber look going, so I'm not sure what that's all about. But on the picture on the right is uh, at their marriage last year in August, and, uh, and uh, Karthika is definitely into it now. She's got her man. And uh, anyway, just, a, just an awesome story. And so, I, you know, I tell this story, and that's, that's a... That's a fantastic ending, you'd think. But actually, both of these uh, young people had this tremendous heart to serve God, so the story goes on. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about India and just kind of retrace what Drew said. This gives you a little bit of a visual about India and the number of people there. It's a 1.4 billion people, three times the population of the U.S., crammed into an area a third of the size, or four times the population of the U.S., and the breakdown in terms of religion you can see here. And so there's really a very small minority that are Christians. And this, uh, uh, this uh, place in India just is in uh, dire need of the proclamation of the gospel. But at the same time, about 15 years ago, the, um, the government of India that took over at that time are very uh, activist Hindus, and they really are down on the Christian religion, especially anyone that's trying to convert someone to Christianity. So they basically forced most of the Christian organizations in India out of the country, uh, World Vision, Compassion International, or two of the bigger ones, and they were forced to leave their ministries. And, um, but because of this story that you heard in the video earlier, where this, um, this young mother dying of AIDS with a child that was also dying of AIDS was brought to our organization and, um, and asked if Guna, if he would take her in, and he accepted her, that ended up being a, a huge decision point in the, uh, in the life, sort of in the story of this organization because because of that, um, the government of India has allowed Sin Hopes to, to stay in India and continue with the work that we're doing because they value the work with the orphans uh, to such a degree that, the, that they turn a blind eye basically to the fact that we're a Christian organization. So and that's opened the door for us to stay there and continue to uh, bring these kids into our homes and, and uh, teach them about Jesus. So, where am I at here? 
Anyway, I wanted to just uh, wrap up with a couple of uh, letters that Devin Eason and Karthika wrote, just to tell you in their words uh, where they're at now and what God's doing in their lives. <clears throat> God is, this is from Devin Eason. God has answered my prayers and given me Karthika from Home, Home of Hope for Girls and Anna Purim to be my life partner and wife. I was married on August 23, 2020. We started a blessed family in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'd like to thank God for giving me a wonderful wife as my partner. She's also a spiritual, devoted, and God-fearing girl. And I'm blessed to have this heavenly gift. Now I am posted to be an assistant pastor at Tondi, looking after two churches. Apart from the pastoral ministry, I have a vision to introduce new projects to integrate with the community, especially the HIV children. I'm eagerly working on implementing the Eagle Wings project to impart computer literacy, spoken English, and spiritual knowledge to the youth of the community. I pray that this project will see the light of day and will testify to the glory of God Almighty. Further, through us, we pray that we will be a testimony to the people in Tandi and its nearby community. We also pray that our testimony will bring in more people in the fold of Christ. The Lord God, who has led us thus far, will lead us throughout our life for his glory. And here in this picture, you can see Karthika and Devanese on the far right, and then, the, um, and then there's three boys that came with them from the uh, Heaven's Gate home when they moved up here to take on this ministry. And then the other man and his wife is a senior pastor who is now retiring, and so he's kind of turning over his ministry to Devin Eason. And then we have a letter from Karthika, and she says, Dear Uncle, greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I and my husband, Devin Eason, are doing well by the immense grace of our Lord. We thank God for strengthening and helping us grow in our spiritual life. We are taking care of the Calvary Chapel ministry in Tondi under the guidance of Brother Paul Raj. We have two community halls and the HIV Nutritious Food Distribution Program in Tondi. Also, we have three Home of Hope boys, special, in other words, they have HIV, whom we take care of and teach the scriptures. We regularly visit the families in and around Tondi and share God's word. We pray for them and counsel them whenever necessary. We have many challenges in ministry, but the Lord is giving the grace to do the work that is entrusted to us. We're so happy to do the work here, for we know that the one who has called us is faithful, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. I'm glad to share good news with you. Now I am pregnant, and this is my eighth month. The due date, and you can kind of see that in the picture a little bit. She's, she's showing there uh, here about a month ago, and uh, it's just so exciting to hear this from her. The due date is November 1st. My husband takes me to the hospital for regular checkups, and I take nutritious food and prescribed medicines. We'll appreciate your prayers for my safe delivery. We're so thankful to Guna Uncle for helping us with my medical expenses. We remain grateful for you, for your prayers and generous support. Kindly continue to pray for our family and the ministry in Tandi. We remember you in our daily prayers. Kindly convey our love in regards to your family members. Thank you so much. Your loving child, Karthika. So it's just an awesome story, you know, this uh, sort of complete, uh, complete story. I said, it's not just kids that grow up and they turn 18 years old and then they age out of the orphanage and then they go on, like Drew was saying, to, to whatever. Instead, in this case, God has called these kids uh, to uh, serve him because they develop a heart to, to serve him and pro proclaim the gospel throughout India. So 
Um, Devon Eason and Karthika are just two examples of literally hundreds of kids who have that same heart. And like uh, Drew mentioned, they're serving God all the way from the north up in the Himalayas down to the very southern tip of India. And uh, so to me, that's just an awesome example of how God took circumstances, lives that were so uh, uh, despairing in despair and so forth, and turned them around and uses them in a country that is so close to uh, the proclamation of the gospel. So I just want to wrap up the story and ask you to consider maybe being a part of some of the many uh, children's lives who are still uh, waiting to have their stories written by God. So thank you. Great job. And that's so cool. Hear those stories. You know, that's, that's the beauty of God is he's doing redemptive works in India just as he's doing it here um, today. So, um, I, uh, man, I love hearing the redemption stories. Uh, I have the blessing every week to really hear them from our reports in India, and I'm always so encouraged by them. Um, I wanted to share one other quick story before we wrap up. Um, just that, that Guna had shared with me um, this past Christmas. Um, see, they, they do a lot of evangelism and, and try to get out into their communities at Christmas time to be able to share encouragement with their communities. And Guna told me that uh, this past Christmas, the kids had gone out with some of our leadership and they were, um, he said they were helping give out meals to the less fortunate, <laughs> which had me <laughs> laughing at how beautiful that is. I'm like, isn't that you guys? Like, you're the less fortunate, but that's not the way that they see them because that's not the way they see themselves. You know, they see themselves through the eyes of Jesus. They have a purpose in their communities. Not only that, but um, uh, he said that the, the staff and children were intentionally baking cakes, um, and they were taking them throughout their communities door by door, and they were handing them out to individuals that have, had actively persecuted them throughout the year. <laughs> I mean, when he first told me that, it wrecked me. I could barely stay on the call after that. I was like, I mean, if that, um, if that isn't a representation of the church and what we're called to, then I don't know what is. Um, we're called to love our enemies. And so, um, man, this body of believers over in India have encouraged me so much, and I am so blessed um, to be able to represent this ministry as well as ask you to, to partner with us this morning. And so I, w- I want to give you guys all the chance um, to partner with us today. We have a team out here in the lobby at the Welcome Center. If you came through this way, you probably saw them. Um, I would love for you guys to join us in sending hope over to India. So there's a few ways you can do that this morning. Um, we have pastors and children that we would love to see sponsored. Um, our pastors obviously help us fulfill the gospel message. We have about 70 uh, pastors that we still have um, sponsored, trying to get, well, they're not trying to get sponsored, but that we still send sponsorships over of the 200. The rest of them are all um, are able to raise their own support locally, praise God. Um, but uh, we have 20 pastors I would love to see sponsored this morning. So that essentially helps with their uh you know, basic needs with their family, helping with um, caring for housing, some support for their ministry. And ultimately, I would love to find people that um, want to pour into these pastors. You see, in the last few years, we've not been able to, our, our leadership team in India hasn't been able to encourage the pastors, visit them as often as they might have been. It's all been through videos and Zoom conferences and stuff. And so I want people that want to pour into these pastors. We have uh, team member over in India who handles all email correspondences. So you can personally write them letters, send scriptures, just build a relationship with them. 
Um, same goes with our children. Um, so you have the opportunity today to help us support some of our children. We have about 100 kids I would love to see sponsored even today. Um, that helps, so sponsorship essentially helps with their food, their education, helps with their housing, helps cover our staff and even maintenance of our buildings, everything pretty much. It helps care for them holistically. Um, and, and especially those HIV infected, it helps with their medicine, making sure that we're caring for them properly. Um, so sponsorships for our kids, that's, it's $70 a month for a full sponsorship, or we do partial sponsorships as well if you want to help with any of our kids over there, um, we would so appreciate you joining us to be able to send hope over to them. Um, any of the other ministries as well, if you want to support financially, you can. Um, but I want to just allow you each to have some time. We're going to sing a song here in a second. Just pray about it. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that every person's meant to support the organization financially, but what you can do is join us in prayer. Um, that's more than anything how you can be partnering with us uh, to send hope over to India is care for the global church. And I'm hoping that these signs out here in the lobby will be good reminders for us to continue to pray for those ministering around the world. So um, some quick announcements before I pray. Um, like I said, our team's gonna be out here right after service. If you wanna get more information on any of our programs, um, Tucker also said our, our office is here at the church. So if you ever wanna know more about this ministry, um, I'm here Monday through Friday. You always can come bug me if you ever want to ask some questions. I'd love to talk with you. Um, we, uh, we also, this is actually a crazy kind of week for this ministry. We have a silent auction coming up on Saturday. Um, so uh, we are actively planning for that. If you want to learn more about this ministry, join us for that. It's a free dinner and silent auction we're having in Eagle. Um, you can register today for that. Today's the last day to do so, and we'd love for you to participate in that event. Um, and then we have a ministry partner here, 524, um, who has a table out in the lobby as well. How, is anybody from 524? Any runners or walkers here today? Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for what you do. Um, so 524 is a ministry partner of ours. They help raise funds for HIV-infected orphans through four half marathons each fall. These people are no joke. I am not in a place to do that right now. Um, so praise God for you guys. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, all that stuff is out in the lobby. And um, needless to say, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in India. And, and it's my hope that I get to meet some of you guys out in the lobby in a second. So let's pray as we uh, conclude this service. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Calvary Boise. Thank you so much for the ministries you birthed out of this place. The amazing things um, that you have produced through your church the redemption stories that we hear um, around the world, Lord God. We know that you do it over in India and you do it here in Boise, Idaho, Jesus. And so I pray you just bless this community, bless these individuals with this word, Lord God, that they would know your truth, that you are the fulfillment of all of our desires and needs, Lord Jesus, only you. And so, Jesus, this morning, I pray you just bless us as we go into the rest of this day and this week, Lord God. We ask for uh, just your presence to go with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.